Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Public Access America is on Twitter now for some reason. We will tweet and you will miss them. But follow Public Access America anyway on Twitter at Public Access Pod. This is what he had to say about the procedure on his acceptance of his Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine for having invented it. So here we have somebody pathologically living in a world of understand how synapses are working, adjust them, and with that we obtain cures and improvements, but no failures. Final quote, worst one of all. The selection for social utility must be accomplished by some social institution if mankind is not to be ruined by domestication-induced degeneracy. The racial idea as the basis of our state has already accomplished much in this respect. We may and we must rely on the healthy instincts of the best of our people for the extermination of elements of the population loaded with dregs. Anybody want to guess who that was? What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, we did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA. It is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen. Here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? You didn't know this kid, okay? We did They're looking for help. We call me They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. When we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. But their children were saved. And their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Public Access Access America. America. (laughs) 
Hitler. Nah, Hitler, that behavioral biologist, he was a little bit busy at the time. This was instead one of Hitler's main scientific propagandists. This was somebody living pathologically in a box, a box that doesn't even exist, having notion of race and ethnicity and genetics and all of that, saying, let me fix that one. Let me uh, exterminate the elements of the population loaded with dregs, and I'll fix up that little problem of fixing something that ain't broken. Who was this? This was a scientist named Conrad Lorenz. Conrad Lorenz, who probably a lot of us are familiar with, Conrad Lorenz was one of the founding fathers of ethology. We'll learn all about that. But he, like everybody knows him, winding up in all the little kid nature books, Conrad Lorenz discovered imprinting in birds, and he'd be going around. He was this little Austrian guy with this cherubic white beard, and he'd always have these little Austrian shorts and suspenders, and there would be a whole bunch of duckies following him because they thought he was mom, and he was totally charming and irresistible with this sort of old imprinting with his ducky kids. And he also happened to be a rabid Nazi propagandist who went to his grave saying that there was nothing wrong with what he did. These are not crappy fourth-rate scientists. These are not people working at, you know, the University of the Desert of Podunk or whatever. These are among the most influential scientists of the last century. These are people who influenced how people were educated and when we decided it wasn't worth the effort of doing it. These are people whose influence led to the brains being destroyed of hundreds of thousands of people who had nothing wrong with them. These were the people who led to the notion that you fix up a problem that doesn't exist by exterminating nine million people. These are not minor scientists. These are the most influential people over the last century coming out of science in many ways, living pathologically inside their own buckets and how they could explain the entire world. And thus, again, our goal is going to be to not fall for that, to think about human behaviors, and in some cases, to think about some of the most disturbed, some of the most frightening, damaged human behaviors, and resist the temptation to think inside a bucket and find the explanation. Miss an episode of Public Access America? Download the SoundCloud app now on your Android or iPhone device to catch up. Stanford University. Again, every level we're going to talk about, genes, hormones, neurons, environmental influence, whatever it is, that point will simply be the easiest way of describing all of the influences that came before. They're not even temporary buckets. There's no buckets. That will be our goal. Now, in thinking about this and approaching human behavior, the biology of human social behavior, often the biology of abnormal human, human social behavior, we're going to have three intellectual challenges. The first one is recognizing circumstances where there is nothing fancy about us whatsoever. We are just like every other animal out there, and where the challenge is to accept that. Let me give you an example. You are a hamster. 
you are a female hamster. And you're sitting in your cage, and as a female hamster, what you do is you ovulate every five days or so, and you're going about your business and everything's great. Now, somebody puts another female hamster in the cage with you. And over the subsequent month or so, what happens is both of you will begin to lengthen your cycles and eventually synchronize them so that you are both ovulating the same afternoon on a regular basis. Amazing, this actually works this way. And menstrual ovulatory synchrony, people understand how this works in hamsters. It is done with olfaction, with pheromones, with chemical airborne signals from one female to another. And you can prove this by electrically recording from olfactory systems, or if you don't have much funding, you could take like a paper clip over the female hamster's nose, and she doesn't synchronize then. It's all done with olfaction. And what's most amazing is you put the two females together, and there's a way of disrupting it. Put a male hamster in there, and suddenly the cycles desynchronize and shorten, and you break it up with male pheromones. And what's even more remarkable is you put the two females together, and it's not random who synchronizes the other one. The dominant female synchronizes the subordinate one. Totally understood. People have been working on this for years, and it works this way in like goats and sheep and dogs and cats and pigs. Apparently, you could go to a 7-Eleven somewhere in Iowa and you could buy a can of pig ovulatory synchronization spray and take it home and just run wild. I have no idea why you would want to do that. <laughs> but nonetheless, that's how you, like it's up there with the cans of Cheese Whiz or whatever. And it's that well understood. And what's remarkable is it works exactly the same way in us, us humans, where it is known as the Wellesley effect. The fact that over the course of freshman year, this was first shown in Wellesley 1970, over the course of freshman year, women, freshman year roommates tended to lengthen and synchronize their cycles. And it was done with olfaction. Women who had olfactory deficits didn't synchronize with their roommates. They would synchronize unless they were having close, intimate relationships with a male, in which case they desynchronized. And what's most cool of all is it's not random who synchronizes to who. The studies tend to show is the individual who is more socially outgoing, extroverted, dominating, is the one who synchronizes the other one. And this is well enough understood that when I went in college, people would sit around at the dinner table and say stuff like, oh, when we roomed together in the summer, I had her synchronized by August 1st. <laughs> You know, this is what happens if you hang out with biologists, but we're exactly the same. The challenge there is recognizing there's nothing fancy about us. At various points in the class, we will look at comparisons between the human and the chimp genome, and it's virtually the same. Some of the time, we are just a plain old off-the-rack animal. Second challenge is going to be circumstances where we appear to be just like everybody else, all the other organisms out there, but we do something very different with the similarity. Let me give you an example here. You have two humans, two individuals, who are going through a ritual. They are sitting at a table. They're absolutely silent, they're making no eye contact, and they do nothing more physically taxing than every now and then one of them picks up their hand and moves a little piece of wood on the table. 
And if these happen to be the right two individuals in the middle of a chess grandmaster tournament, these people are maintaining blood pressure for six hours running that you only see in a marathon runner. These people are going through thousands of calories a day doing nothing more than thinking. And this is outrageous because you look at one of these chess grandmasters who's just taken down an opponent and took their queen or whatever, and they will have the exact same physiology as some male baboon on the savannah who's just ripped the stomach open of his worst rival. And we're doing it there just with thought. And some of the time, what's remarkable about us is we have absolutely typical boring physiology, but we use it in ways that no other animal could. We get stressed by the inevitability of our mortality. We get stressed by reading something awful that has happened to a child on the other side of the planet. We get stressed by somebody zooming past us in some sports car and we decide that we are now economically inadequate. And you never even see the person's face. You just see the car. We get stressed reading about something awful happening to a character in a novel. This is a whole realm of things that we could do that nobody else does. And on the flip side, we can feel compassion and empathy for a loved one, but we can also do the same for someone on the other side of a planet in a refugee camp. We can feel compassion for a member of another species. We feel badly when our pets are injured. This is another realm where the physiology of the response, the empathy, the emotional bonding, all of that, it's the same boring physiology as every other animal out there, and we are using it in a way that is unrecognizable. Now, some of the time, the challenge is the third category, which is when we are doing something that no other animal out there has anything remotely similar to. Let me give you an example here, a shocking example. You have a couple. They live together. They come back at the end of the day from work. They talk. They eat dinner. They talk some more. They go to bed. They have sex. They talk some more. They fall asleep. The next day, they do the same exact thing. They come home from work. They talk. They eat. They talk. They go to bed. They have sex. They talk some more. They do this every single night for 30 days running. Hippos would be repulsed by this because hardly anybody out there in the animal kingdom has non-reproductive sex, let alone day after day, and nobody else out there talks about it afterward. And what we've got here is a whole novel domain of human behavior, language use, aspects of our sexuality, this profoundly damaging human uniqueness of some individuals confusing aspects of sexuality with aggression. In some cases, we are going to be out there on our own trying to understand what's up. Okay, so that will be the general strategy for the course. We will resist categorical thinking over and over and over, not just because that's cool and nuanced and subtle and all of that, but fall into categorical thinking and you can do unspeakable damage in a realm of science that makes a difference. We will do so thinking constantly about ourselves as a boring species just like all the others out there, as a species that has the same boring physiology but uses it in ways that are unrecognizable as a species that does some things that are simply without precedent out there and constantly struggling with what does biology have to do with it. 
Okay, general structure of the course. The first half of the course is going to be an overview, an introduction to the various buckets, the various categories. And what we're going to go through is understanding sort of an introduction to evolutionary theory, an introduction to what molecular genetics has to do with behavior, behavioral genetics, ethology, the brain, endocrinology, each of these buckets. And you know what happens next, which is in the second half of the course, we will look at specific behaviors and in each case rip apart the buckets. And in each case do the strategy of what does the behavior look like? What happened a second before the world of neurons? What happened with the sensory stimuli that trigger those neurons, etc., all the way back to the evolutionary selective pressures? So the first half of the course is going to be the introduction to the bucket. And I will tell you right off the bat, it is a total pain in the rear. Because what we're going to be doing is, like every two and a half lectures, just when you are getting the vocabulary down, we're going to jump to a completely different bucket. It is going to be dizzying and unpleasant and all of that. And then second half of the course, oh, the rewards finally come, of then putting all the pieces together, looking at individual categories of behavior, sexual behavior, aggressive behavior. Public Access America is nonprofit. Our reward is an informed world. If there's a subject you would like covered, send an email to publicaccessamerica at gmail.com. Stanford University. Parental behavior, schizophrenia, depression, personality disorders, language use. In each of these cases, what's going on a second before, what's going on 10 million years before, where do all these buckets disappear in the interactions? So that's going to be the strategy for the course. Something critical about how the course was designed is it's got no prerequisites because I really think this is a subject that everybody on earth should be forced to learn about at gunpoint and thus like, it's a good thing I think to have this not be one of those upper level bio classes. Let me just get a sense of who's here. How many of you are bio types, bio majors? Humbio, psychology, anthro. Are there any English lit grad students in here? Yeah, okay. Good for you. Thank you for coming here. Um, see what you think in three months. But nonetheless, the class has been designed explicitly to have no background whatsoever. How are we going to do that? We're going to do the usual song and dance of weekly sections and reviews and all that sort of thing. But in addition, during this first half of the course, when we're jumping from category to category, we're going to have each week additional sections, a catch-up section, which is for people who have no background in that area, getting you through the basics and getting you up to speed so that you will be able to then know what's up during the lectures. So those will be posted. The first one of these is, let me make sure I've got this. Yes, it will be this Thursday at 7.30 in the room next door. And this is going to be the introduction to evolutionary theory and getting you ready for what will be the evolution lectures Wednesday and Friday of this week. If you don't have a strong background, go to these catch-up sections. The TAs who will be giving it are really expert in those areas, lots of background, and this will be your chance to catch up. Look through the handout. I think I have a bunch of terms there or something where if you 
you're not terribly familiar with those terms in some discipline, that's a sign that you should probably go for some of the catch-up stuff. If you really are just doing this, sort of being very adventurous with no background, if you can take it pass-fail, that will take off a lot of the pressure as well, because you could then actually pay attention to stuff here. And the whole point here is to be able to do this even if you don't have a science background. Because the obvious argument I would make is everybody has to learn behavioral biology because we're being behavioral biologists every time we serve on a jury, every time we vote whether or not money should be spent on solving some problem, whether it's a problem and whether it's solvable or not. Every time we try to make sense of a family member sunk in depression, are they having a biochemical disorder or are they just indulging themselves? We are behavioral biologists all the time, so it's a probably good thing that we be informed once. So the catch-up sections there, take advantage of them. What else? We will have weekly sections, the usual type. People are not assigned to sections. There's going to be, I don't know, 18 of them or so a week at various times. Go to whichever works for you. There will be a midterm in the middle, the midterm coming as we finish the last of those categories, last of those buckets. There will be a final. There is no paper or anything like that. So that will be the pattern. What else? Other stuff here. Office hours, my office hours are up on the handout. Other things, breaks. We will, with any luck, be able to, we, I, with any luck, will be able to be organized enough so that during each stretch of class, there will be a five-minute break in the middle so you can stand up and just get to the front of the line for the bathroom, and then we will resume promptly before you get in there. So just to let you clear your heads a bit. Assignments, books, reading. There are two books that I have assigned for the course. One is uh, by me. And you don't even have to read it. Just go buy a bunch of copies and, and bring me the receipt. And you got a great grade in there. OK, so that one's going to be pertinent to the second half of the course. Um, we're going to give you a list of the chapters that make the most sense to read. The other book is a book by an author named James Gleck called Chaos. Chaos, year after year after year in this class, provokes the strongest opinions. A quarter of the people decide it is the most irritating, irrelevant thing that could possibly have been assigned in the class and hate it. About half the people never quite figure out what's up with it. And a quarter of the people, their life is transformed. They no longer have to meditate. They no longer have to have a, just, they are at peace. At peace, I tell you. Because what this book does is introduce this whole radically different way of thinking about biology, taking apart a world of reductionism. For 500 years, we all have been using a very simple model for thinking about living systems, which is if you want to understand something that's complicated, you break it apart into its little pieces. And once you understand the little pieces and put it back together, you will understand the complex thing. And what chaos as an entire field is about, and this was pretty much the first book that was meant for the lay public about it, what chaos shows is that's how you fix clocks. That's not how you fix behaviors. That's not how you understand behaviors. Behavior is not like a clock. Behavior is like a cloud. And you don't understand rainfall by breaking a cloud down into its component pieces and gluing them back together. 
So read through that book. A lot of it is from physical sciences rather than biological, so we'll just be suggesting the chapters you should read. I will tell you, it is the first book since, like, Baby Beluga, where I've gotten to the last page and immediately started reading it over again from the front, because along with Baby Beluga, it's had the greatest influence on my life. I found this to be the most influential book in my thinking about science since college, so that is a sign. There will also be a bunch of lectures in the second half of the course covering these fields of chaos and complexity. And if you really think about it, it is going to force a change in everything else that you bring to thinking about the subject. In addition, at this moment, there is not a reader because I'm trying to avoid having to get you guys to have to buy a reader. I'm trying to redo all the assigned readings so that it will just be from papers that are available online, that you'll be able to download. I'm about halfway through getting them there. With any luck, there will not have to be a reader. But if it does exist, it's not going to be big. It won't be terribly expensive. But there will be a bunch of readings online to download. And it will vary. In some cases, it will be reading the whole paper. In some cases, I'll be suggesting you just read the abstract. In some cases, it will be to understand what's happening in the, in the paper in detail. In some cases, this is an example of how people in this bucket think about this problem. Just read the abstract. Public Access America is on Instagram, sharing sneak peeks, episode art, snippets of the stories, and more. Search Big Brain Pod and follow, like, and comment on Instagram. Stanford University. So all of that will be assigned and made clear. What other stuff? There's going to be a huge amount of information online. The coursework is going to be set up for the class. There will be copies of the handouts. There will be lecture notes, lecture notes that I have that will be about five to 10 pages covering each lecture, which will get to about the middle of the course, and I suspect I will run out of steam by then. So they won't occur for the second half. There will be commonly asked questions. There will be a Q&A. There will be course logistics. Some of the slides will be put up in there. Make use of that. There will be announcements about time changing for office hours and things like that. Make sure you make use of that. And people who are not formally enrolled, we are figuring out a way for you to get access to it as well. We've also made the decision that after this lecture, the handouts will not be on paper. And that is because well, roughly for each lecture, we will go through about 5,000 pieces of paper, even double-sided. All of the stuff will get posted on coursework the day before. And if that's going to make it impossible for you to follow what happens in class because you are the last human on Stanford who is not living off of a computer screen, come and talk to me and we will slip you an actual paper copy of the handouts. Most of the, with any luck, we can avoid using paper just because of how many people there are in here. Let's see, other stuff. Sections. Sections will start this Thursday. The regular sections, all of those will be posted, the times for that. Um, office hours won't start until next week. Midterm will be in an evening rather than during a class time. And if we're on schedule, the class time that day will be used for review. 
And anything else? Oh, a very good suggestion just now, given that the class before here is humongous, and thus we have the impossible problem of a lot of people trying to get out of that, while a lot of people are trying to get into that. It might work best for everybody to come in from the top so that you flow down the stairs seamlessly and drive out those other people before us out the door there. That might work a whole lot better. Final thing is we have a team of TAs here, and they are great. Here they are. TAs, stand up and be embarrassed. Okay, stand up, guys. There they are. There's all but one of them who is in transit. There they are. These guys are great. They have either taken the course before, in some cases they've TA'd the course before, they are grad students in various of the bucket specialties. I would strongly suggest taking advantage of the sections. What will evolve after the first few weeks is there will be the regular sections going over the course material, sort of in the usual way. There will also be more advanced sections for people who have stronger backgrounds. Take advantage, okay, you guys can sit down. <laughs> leaving them standing there awkwardly for hours afterward. Take advantage of the sections. Really greatly skilled TAs. Okay, so that's basically what we got going here. Are there any questions? Units, okay, somebody emailed about units. Um, the class is five units and it's because we are meeting for so many hours a week. Um, actually, for a while, the class was a six-unit course, and that was because of Condoleezza Rice, because when she was the provost here, she totally screwed the biology department by upping our teaching requirements under really nasty conditions. So what we all decided was to find ways every single sleazy trick we could do to puff up the number of units we were supposedly teaching. So for a while, the five-unit class here would get you six units, but eventually they caught us, so we stopped doing that. So First, first she did that, and then weapons of mass destruction. So it's a five-unit class at the moment. Say hi for me if you run into her on campus. So five units. Um, the workload, I think, will be commensurate with that, but it's mainly because of heavy class time. One additional thing, lectures are going to be taped and put up online within a day or so on coursework. The reason for that is given that this spans two-hour block, a lot of people have to miss one of the hour blocks and then the past, it has worked to be able to get the stuff up online, so that will be advantageous for some folks. Okay, question. Yes, there was a question up there. That was, okay, you take it back. Okay, any other questions? Bagel guy, did you get your bagel or did somebody eat it? Okay, good, good. A social contract comes through, yeah. What's that? Yes. I don't remember. <laughs> May 3rd. May 3rd for the midterm. 7.30 in the evening. It is a Monday. June 4th for the final. Okay, more questions. Yeah. What's the format of the midterm and the final? 
in an ideal world, given the whole emphasis here on no buckets, blah, blah, etc., it would be long essays and requirements of sonnets and sensitive haikus about the hypothalamus. But simply because of the numbers in here, we are reduced to sort of like lowest common denominator, a lot of multiple choice questions just to make things saner for the TAs, because it is an unbelievable job to try to grade this many papers that quickly. Broadly, intellectually, what the midterm is going to be about is just touching base, making sure you understand the basics of each of those buckets, each of those disciplines, a little bit of forcing you to think across disciplines. What the final is going to be entirely about is forcing you to think across the disciplines, across the buckets there. So it's going to be sort of very different intellectual foci in there. Midterm, have the facts down. Hopefully it won't be quite as mindless as that, but that's the main function of the midterm. Okay, more questions. Yeah. Okay, TAs, did you guys decide to videotape the catch-up section? Audio. Okay. That, okay. Either office hours or it's going to be taped and put up online on CourseWorks. And if there's critical handouts, visuals, those will be posted there as well. Good. More questions? Yeah. Are those catch up sessions going to be every Thursday? Yes. And it's going to be for each, it's going to be in advance of the next three lectures. Since, yeah. Final is at 7.30 for two hours. The final, oh, the final, the final, 5.15. 12.15. Just to get that up there, 12.15, more questions. Any other? To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbow. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you, I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your country. to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. But it ain't about how hard you get. It's about how hard you get and keep moving forward. How much you take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Yes, we can. I wanted to run out of that tunnel. For my dad. To prove to everyone what? Public Access America. Yes, we can. On SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and now Facebook. Public Access, Public America. Access America. History in the History making. In the making.
making, making history in history the making. In the making. Public Access America is waiting for you on the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Download the app for free and subscribe to Public Access America to get more episodes like this in your feed every day. Stanford University.